today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. begin in the 10th chapter tonight of Romans, Romans chapter 10. But in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul dealt with the idea that many Jews had of national salvation. They believed just because they were Jewish, they were automatically saved. And Paul proved from the Scriptures that that type of thinking is not Scriptural In Romans chapter 9, verse 27, if you want to just turn there right quick, we'll just look over at the previous page. Romans 9, verse 27. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Although the number of the children of Israel was as the sand of the sea, Isaiah's really saying here that only a few were actually saved over that 1,600-year period. In verse 29, he went on to say, And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and had been likened to Gomorrah. In other words, the sin of Israel in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ was worse than the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's actually what Paul is saying here. And despite the miracles that were performed, that Jesus did in full public view, the Jews rejected Jesus as being the Messiah. Now, if you Jews did accept Christ, but by and large the nation as a whole has rejected him. Verse 30, what shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? The Gentiles made no pretense at all in their history of living for God. They served idols and other gods and did all kind of sexual perversion around their heathenistic altars and whatever the case. But today, many of them are saved because they have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said there in verse 31, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Israel actually made salvation out of the law, and God never intended 
for the law to be salvation. God intended for the law to show man just how bad off he really was and to show man that he really needed a Savior. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, along with that, he gave Moses the sacrificial system and how the sacrifices were to be carried out and, and so forth. And a lot of times that gets overlooked. And they looked at the sacrifices as just doing, just like the rest of the law. No one in 1,600 years' worth of history was able to keep the law, except for one. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Israel has stumbled at that. And uh, today... Anyone who places their faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary, they can obtain the righteousness of God by simple faith. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Jew or Gentile, whether they're black or white or what their background is, if they'll just simply humble themselves and recognize that they're a sinner and will repent of their sin, accept Christ as their Savior, uh, then they can be saved. But like I said, the Jews have stumbled at this. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, continuing with this line of thought. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Uh, I want to look at a number of things here in this verse. First of all, Paul used the word brethren. The word brethren. And it presents a bond tie in Christianity that surpasses that of one's own blood relative kin that is not saved. Now you, you think about that. When Paul used the term brethren... He was speaking of a bond tie in Christianity that surpasses that of one's own blood relative kin. And there's a oneness in Christianity that sets us apart from any other religion in the world and any other union. And I've seen it bring races together. I've seen it bring broken homes and families together. It can even bring entire nations together. We can all come into the unity of the faith. But sadly and regrettably, Satan has been successful. And he has fought hard to destroy this unity that is found only in the church of Jesus Christ. All right, let's take a look at, uh, at uh, Paul's heart's desire. If anyone knew about Israel's plight, it was Paul. He had been there. He'd been on that side of the fence, opposed to Christ, throwing Christians in jail and uh, having others killed. And in Acts chapter 9, we read where he was on his way down to Damascus, when suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard as it was a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. 
And then Paul, stumbling and astonished at all of this, he said, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? And Paul was saved that day. And knowing the thinking of the Jews and the lie that they were living, a short time later we read also there in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts that shortly after he was saved and filled with the Spirit, we see him in the synagogues preaching that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And all that heard him were amazed. Is not this Paul, the one who was getting Christians and throwing them into jail and persecuting them, and now he's made this dramatic change. Let me tell you something. I don't care how bad off a person is and how opposed they may be to the work of God. There's not a person in this world that the Holy Ghost can't get a hold of and deal with that heart and bring them in before it's everlasting too late. And Paul has a desire Jesus changed his heart, changed his life, and now he knows the truth. And his desire and prayer for Israel is that they'll be saved. And, you know, such should be our desire. And such should be our prayer today as well. We should pray for all of those that are lost. Paul believed in the power and the necessity of prayer. Matter of fact, he began the book of Romans. If you'll go back over into Romans chapter 1 and verse 9, you'll see that he began the book of Romans with prayer. Look at that. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. He said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Later on, Haven, if you will, Romans chapter 15, verse 30, we see where Paul encourages the Romans and us today to pray for him. Romans 15, verse 30. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren... For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And as he closed out the book of Romans in chapter 16, Romans 16, move down, if you will, to verse 24. Paul closes out Romans with this prayer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So Paul believed in the necessity and the power of prayer. And he's praying for Israel to be saved, and you and I should be doing the same thing. We should be praying not only just for Israel to be saved, but all the lost that are around here. There's plenty of people that are lost. And I pray that God will give us a spirit of evangelism. You know, evangelism is the purpose of the church. In... Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul made his request and petition known to God concerning the salvation of Israel. And we should have that same desire for Israel and others. We need to pray for the lost, that God will finger around their hearts and deal with them and convict them and bring them in before it's everlasting too late. We need to pray for our preachers. Pray for me. Pray for the preacher in the church down the road, that God will anoint them to preach a message 
that will deal with the hearts of the people and bring them in before, like I said, it's everlasting too late. Pray for yourself that God will open up a door of opportunity for you to witness to others. I mean, the other day we were up there in Zeblin and we were washing cars, and um, I was talking with, with one of them up there, and she said, you know, I was just reading in my devotion today, and it was talking about witnessing to others. And I just asked the Lord, Lord, give me an opportunity to witness for you. And lo and behold, a young lady pulled up, and that opportunity was given. And so uh, if we'll ask the Lord to give us an opportunity to witness for others, he will open up that door. So we need to be more evangelistic in our efforts. All right, let's go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 2. Romans 10, verse 2. For I bear them record that they have the zeal of or for God, but not according to knowledge. Israel was given the covenants. They were given the law. They were given the prophets. Of all the people on the face of the earth, they should have known about the things of God. But they didn't. Why? They would take their 12-year-old little boys. By the time they were 12, they could recite the entire book of Leviticus. When was the last time you read the book of Leviticus, let alone recite it chapter and verse from beginning to end? So they knew the written word. But when Jesus stood in front of them, the living word, they rejected him. Why is that? Paul said, if you look there in verse 3, Romans 10, verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. It's one thing to be ignorant. You just don't know. But it's another thing altogether when you're willfully ignorant of a particular thing, because you really you want to do your own thing, see. And Israel refused to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. Let's look at the righteousness of God for just a minute. The only righteousness that God will accept is His righteousness because our righteousness is as filthy rags Isaiah 64 verse 6 God's righteousness has been manifested to us through his son Jesus Christ haven if you will go to Romans chapter 3 let's back up a little bit Romans 3 move down to verse 21 that's where we're going to pick it up at here Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. Makes no difference whether you're a Jew 
or a Gentile. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth. There you go. God has shown us His righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. In other words, Jesus Christ is the one who has reconciled us unto God. Through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This was outright in Israel's face. Those who knew Jesus the most. He grew up in the little town of Nazareth. You can't tell me that people didn't know there was something different about this man. He never sinned. He never said a cross word. I'm sure there were times, being a carpenter, he mashed his finger. But you'd have never heard a cuss word come out of his mouth. He never talked back to his mama. I'm sure people said things to him, and cross words to him. But he never committed one sin in word, thought, or deed. People had to see that and know that there was something different about this man. And yet, when he announced that he was the Messiah, and we've been dealing with that now on Sunday mornings for the past few Sundays, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and so forth. He finished that and said, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. They knew full well what he was saying. And they stopped his message and took him up to the brow of the hill and would have thrown him off if the Spirit of God hadn't got involved. And the Bible says he passed through their midst. And Nazareth was the first. It all started there in Nazareth, but after a while it spread to the whole nation of Israel. And ultimately, the whole nation of Israel rejected Christ. This is Israel's problem. Um, Haven, if you will, go to Hebrews 4, verse 2. Hebrews 4, verse 2. Not only is it Israel's problem, but it's a big problem today. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, speaking of the Jews. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They willingly made a decision not to believe in Jesus Christ. Even when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and called Lazarus out of that tomb, there were still religious leaders who would not accept him. Instead, they went off in a back room somewhere and and counseled together to figure out how they could go about killing him. So they willfully made a decision to not believe in Christ. Why? Because they wanted to establish their own righteousness, their own religion. And folks, the church today is doing the same identical thing. 
now. Most submit to Christ for salvation. But they go about establishing their own righteousness when it comes to sanctification in our everyday living for God. Which again, God cannot accept. We have denominationalism today. People that say, well, you've got to be a part of our little group and you've got to go by our little set of rules to be saved. No, you don't. You've got some people who believe that you've got to be baptized in water to be saved. I had a man stand me down. Oh, if you ain't baptized in water, preacher, you pray that prayer over radio. It don't count unless you put them in the water right then and baptize them. I mean, there's there's some hardcore believers in that. No, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. It's all simple faith in Christ and what he did at the cross. You've got the Seventh-day Adventist. They believe in Christ. But they also believe you've got to go to church on Saturday. And you've got to abstain from pork. No, you don't. You don't have to do any of that stuff. The list goes on and on and on of stuff that people make up and say you have to do in order to be saved and sanctified and whatever the case. Why is this happening in the church? Some of it is just plain ignorance, especially among young believers, and they're not taught. I mean, they get saved, they have a zeal for God, And then, as we all do, they fail the Lord in some way, and they're shaken by it. And then they resort to law. They come up with their own little rules. You know, I've got to do this to keep from committing that sin again. And when they do that, they don't realize it. But they've allowed their faith to shift from Christ and what He's done to themselves and what they can do themselves and what happens in that situation the holy spirit can't work as he needs to in their life because they're trying to do it themselves the situation gets worse and worse and worse they get frustrated and finally they say you know i just can't live it anymore i can't do this anymore they throw up their hands and they quit now in that situation i blame the preachers for not preaching the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Not being properly taught when they come in, when they get saved. Then you've got those who hear the true gospel, but they reject it because it doesn't draw a crowd. we got to have a preacher that's educated. we got to have a preacher that's eloquent in speech. Somebody that'll tell people how pretty they are and how good they are. They want a soothing message, an intellectual message. Makes people feel good. Then you've got those who hear the true gospel and they say, well, that's good, but we need more. You've got to have more. Just believing in Christ you know, that, that's not enough because we're facing problems today. Man is facing problems that 
are complicated, that are more complicated now than was back then, and we need this right here, whatever this right here may be, and the Bible and bookstores are full of books on how to, when to, what to do, what I did, what you ought to do. The, the Bible and bookstores is full of this stuff. And whatever it is, uh, they package it up and they sell it. And bottom line, they make money. And that seems to be the biggest problem in the church today. Money. But I remind you, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I want you to understand this tonight. Any time a preacher comes up to you and says, You've got to do this right here. Whether they know it or not, they're pointing you to law. They're not pointing you to grace. There's only one of two places that you can be. It's either law or grace. And the only way grace will work is by simple faith in Christ and what he did. Paul said, Romans 10 verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. It's all about faith in Christ. For the just shall live by faith. It's faith to get saved. You've got to maintain your faith in order to, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and be sanctified. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you. Music